the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's Tuesday, November the 9th, 2021, in the year of our Lord. Today on November 9, 1938, Nazis looted and burned synagogues as well as Jewish-owned stores and houses in Germany and Austria. It was a program of deliberate persecution that became known as Crystal Knock, Night of the Broken Glass. Today in 1620, the passengers and crew of the Mayflower sighted Cape Cod. They did not walk ashore today, but they sighted Cape Cod. They had not intended to land at Cape Cod, as you may know, but that's where they landed, and the rest is history, as they say. But they spotted it today. Probably looked pretty good after that long trip in that wooden boat across the sea. All of that was because they had a hunger, a drive for freedom, religious freedom in that case. Today in 1848, the first post office in California opened in San Francisco at Clay and Pike Streets, right downtown. At the time, how many people do you would you guess lived in not San Francisco, but in California, the whole state? In 1848, well, the answer is nobody knows for sure how many people lived there, but there were about 15,000 European settlers living in the state, not the city, but the state. Can you imagine that? In California. Now there's 15,000 people living in some of those high-rises in Los Angeles and elsewhere. Yeah, 15,000 people. Opened the first post office in California. Opened in San Francisco. Today in 1848. Today in 1872, fire destroyed nearly 800 buildings in Boston. Today in 1965, the Great Northeast Blackout began as a series of power failures. Lasted up to 13 and a half hours, leaving 30 million people in seven states and part of Canada without electricity. All up through the New England states and elsewhere. Today in 1989, Communist East Germany threw open its borders. It allowed citizens to travel freely to the West. Joyful, joyous Germans danced on top the Berlin Wall. I was actually there, not because of that event, but I just happened to be there. We were having some rallies, some evangelistic outreaches in Berlin, and I was with some other people and um, happened to be there and see that. I, I will never forget that site. I guess you can't really, really understand or even maybe appreciate freedom in the way that these folks did unless you have lived as they did for, was it, what was it, 28 years, I believe. The wall was up. But, I mean, they were celebrating. Man, they were on top of the wall. I mean, they were walking on that wall. It's, I don't know, it was six, eight inches wide. I have a piece of it on my desk. I brought it home and put it in my office. It was a wonderful day of freedom in Germany today in 1989. 
Five years ago today, Democrat Hillary Clinton, she conceded the presidential election to Republican Donald Trump. She was not rejoicing. In fact, she told her supporters in New York, my defeat was painful, and it will be for a long, long time. Well, she was right. It was painful because her whole life had been ordered around her becoming the first woman president of the United States, and she thought she had it in her grasp. Interestingly enough, she did not. And yes, she still explains that. I saw her on some program, some forum or symposium or something the other day, and I I just paused. I was looking at a bunch of channels on television, on on the um, satellite television, and I, I saw her and I just paused. It looked current, and it was. And guess what she was talking about? You guessed it, why she lost the election way back when. She will never get past that moment because that's what she had in her life. And that's why it's so important to us. I mean, I'm for goals and reaching out, and I'm going to be talking a little bit more about that today, but I'm all for that. I mean, we need to, to, to compete and, and try and, and you know work toward goals and all of that. I'm, I'm a big believer in that. But when that becomes all your life, the whole sum of your life. When something that goes awry or amiss, it destroys you. You have built your life on something other than the rock of Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus himself said in Matthew 24, he said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word shall not pass away. He was talking about the Bible, the word of God, the inspired, infallible word of God. The prophet Isaiah, he spoke to that as well in chapter 40. said, The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. In Proverbs, My son, attend to my words, incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart, for they are life unto those that find them, and health to all their flesh. The word of the Lord will not pass away. Interestingly enough, President Joe Biden, unless he's doing it as we speak this morning, we are originating live at 9 o'clock in the morning on Tuesday, November the 9th, and I haven't paid a lot of attention to him this morning, but I've not seen that he's doing this, but he may do it today. But he had not signed the $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill And the reason that he said he has not signed it on Friday, he said he wasn't going to sign it on Monday, which he did not. He said, I'm going to wait until the Republicans who made this possible have a chance to join me at the signing ceremony. I found that interesting. He was wise enough to use that to his advantage to make that statement. But it is true. (laughs) Unbelievably, it is. He said, he said, I could not have done this without them. And again, that's a true statement. Rare, but it's true. Susan Collins, so-called Republican from Maine. Rob Portman, a Republican from Ohio. Mitt Romney, Republican from Utah. Lisa Murkowski, a Republican. These are senators. And Bill Cassidy, a Republican from Louisiana were actively involved in negotiating 
that success with this trillion and a half trillion point two dollar infrastructure bill that is not an infrastructure bill. I mean, it just isn't. It's called that because we all want better roads and bridges and we want the potholes fixed. I mean, everybody wants a good infrastructure. We need one. We need a lot of upgrades in America, in our highways and freeways and bridges and all that kind of thing. But this isn't what that was. It was just presented as that. I talked about it yesterday at length. I'm not going to today, but only to say that that isn't what that was about. It's a very misleading, very misleading, as most things are. You know, it, with, politically, they get put the best face on it to get it pushed through, particularly progressives. But anyway, he's waiting. He's waiting for these folks to come and stand around him and smile and celebrate that they got this thing put through. Do you think the Republicans, these guys, and the I read that 19 Republican senators were involved in this, and there were 13 Republican uh, representatives. I won't go through their name, but I read them, uh, I think it was yesterday. And do you think they'll really show up and stand with them behind their desk? I mean, I don't know. We'll see. But I don't think that'll be good when they come back home to, you know, wherever. When they come, they're not from Washington State. They're not, none of them are from the Northwest here. But um, how do you go home? to wherever you live and say, I'm fighting for you and all, all you Republicans were together on this and blah, blah, blah. How are they going to do that? I don't know. They'll probably figure out something. But anyway, he's not going to sign it. There's an emerging issue that I want to talk to you a little bit about today. It's called equity. Equity is when you buy a house and you pay whatever for it, some years later, you say, you know, honey, let's sell our house and move from Washington State or whatever to Texas because they're more conservative. And you find out that your house is worth a lot more than it was. That's called equity in the house or whatever. I think we all get that. But equity has been co-opted by the left, and they're using it. And it isn't just words. They're using it indeed. Washington State Patrol has reassigned its staff psychologists. He's been there for nearly 30 years. They hired an outside contractor to conduct evaluations for new troopers amid pressure from Governor Jay Inslee. Jay Inslee is pressuring them to diversify the hiring process despite law enforcement staffing shortages across the state. And that's true across all states in America, with a few exceptions. But the new psychologist has been contracted through June of 2022. The issue here, and I'm not, I don't know if the Washington State Patrol is racist or not, and I don't know if this psychologist who's been working with them for almost 30 years. I don't, I've never met him. I'll tell you what I know about it, but that's not my point. Is the role of government to mandate equity or is it to keep the peace and the public safety? And in the case of the federal government, Homeland Security, what is the role of the government? Is it to create equity? The Seattle Times is suggesting that the state government may not be doing either. 
which surprised me. They cover their tail a little bit later in the article, but up front, they're questioning. Does enforcing equity really produce equality? I want to take a closer look, not so much at the state patrol, but at equity and equality. Seattle Times says, bowing to criticism about its hiring process, the Washington State Patrol was temporarily replaced. His longtime staff psychologist with an outside contractor to screen trooper candidates. Chief John Baptiste, himself a black man, had previously, that's end of quote, I'm, this is me, not the Seattle Times now. Baptiste, who is a black man, had previously resisted calls for outsourcing these evaluations for incoming patrol officers, despite concerns that were expressed by the governor. But in recent weeks, the Times says, quote, Governor Inslee and key legislators applied pressure to make changes toward diversifying the Washington State Patrol. As of last year, WSP troopers were 87% white and 90% male. Percentages haven't changed in 20 years, the Seattle Times says. A number of state Democrat legislators, and I've kind of watched this from a distance, but they're joining the governor in calling for more diversity, which is essentially equity, according to the leftist progressive mind. I don't know if Daniel Clark who's been the staff psychologist for the Washington State Patrol for the past nearly 30 years, is racist or not. That's basically the bottom line. They're saying he is racist. He says he isn't. He says he is not. He says, nor does he believe he has ever been racist or biased in his evaluations. It's likely that the governor and the Democrat legislatures are not really seeking fairness or equality or even the absence of bias. What they're seeking, and they don't veil it very much, what they're seeking is (laughs) equity of outcome, which is very different than the equality that our founding fathers spoke of and even equality that the Bible speaks about. There's a big difference between equality and equity. And one of the few things that Kamala Harris, Vice President Kamala Harris, has said that I believe was that. She made the comment, there's a big difference between equality and equity, and I don't know for sure why she said that, because that does not play to their agenda, because there is, and they pretend like there is not. But I want to talk to you a little bit about that. But it's not just touching the Washington State Patrol. This is a, it's a, it's a tsunami that's going across our nation and across our culture. There's a, a story in, in the Los Angeles Times this morning. It says a few, a few years ago, high school teacher Joshua Marino got fed up with his grading system, which had become a points game. So Los Angeles Times talking about education, in, particularly in California. But it applies across the nation. Los Angeles Times quotes this uh, Joshua Marino, this school teacher, high school teacher. He says, it was literally inequitable. He said, as a teacher, you get frustrated because what you signed up for was for students to learn, and it just ended up being a conversation about points all the time. The Times goes on. It says, these days, the Alhambra 
high school English teacher has done away with points entirely. He no longer gives students homework, gives them multiple opportunities to improve their essays and classwork. In other words, if they hand in a uh, some kind of an assignment, an essay or whatever, and they get an F on it, he gives it back to them and says, well, you can do this again. Let's get your grade up. So they go through it again and again and again until they get their grade up. And they say that that is a learning technique that is superior to the old ways of teaching. The goal is to base grades on what students are learning, the L.A. Times says, and quoting them, and remove behavior deadlines and how much work they do from the equation. In other words, there's, it doesn't matter how they act out. It doesn't matter if they miss a deadline, and it doesn't matter if they don't have take any responsibility in doing any of the above. Los Angeles and San Diego Unified Schools, the state's two largest school districts, have about 660,000 students in them. So imagine the impact this is making on these kids. They're being trained up in the ways of no responsibility. If you're wrong, ah, it's okay. We'll do it over again. Here, read this and then take the test again. Oh, no, you didn't fit. You didn't make it. Now, I, here, let me walk you through this. Number one, I mean, really, that's what these guys are doing. I believe that it's not really about the student. I believe that they're trying to get their grades up so when they get evaluated, they it won't show that they're continuing to decline in their educational scores. I think it's more about the teacher than it is the student. That's my opinion, but I do believe that, and I'm fairly well informed on particularly this subject. But grading has often been used, they say, to justify and to provide unequal education opportunities based on a student's race or class. There have been letters going around all over California. There's a lot to be said about this, and I'm not going to go much deeper on it, only to say that this represents, again, a lot of what's going on in the um, in public education around the country. So it isn't just the Washington State Patrol or police officers in general. It's education. It's entertainment. It's even behind the pulpits in some churches. This this drive for equity. For equity. And that's what I want to talk to you about today for a minute. On the first day as president, Joe Biden issued an executive order on advancing racial equity and support for underserved communities. That was what it was called on the first day in office. He left his cabinet nominees. They weren't even in place yet, but he left his nominees to explain whether this commitment to equity means they intend to abolish equal treatment under the law. Some of them did, and they have. Their answers have been as confused as the administration appears to be on mo- uh, most of the time on this subject. Some of the following are taken. I, I mean, there's so much to say about this, it, it's stunning. And there's, there's no seeming recognition that we might know what they're doing, the progressives, with this. Arkansas Senator Tom Cotton raised the question explicitly in the confirmation hearings some months ago. Attorney General-designate Merritt Garland, he responded, I think discrimination is morally wrong. Absolutely. Cotton said, is creating equity discriminating? And it is. 
And Merritt Garland knew that, and he couldn't even answer the question. So he said, well, I think discrimination is morally wrong. Well, I agree. I think trying to fly an airplane when you don't know how to fly an airplane is probably not right either. They state the obvious to get around answering with any accountability to these kinds of questions. This Marsha Fudge, she was the uh, choice of Biden for housing and urban development. She gave a different answer, though. Cotton asked her the same thing. This has been just a few months ago. Cotton, uh, Cotton said to her, just to be clear, it sounds like racial equity means treating people differently based on their race. Is that correct? Fudge responded. She said, not based on race, but it could be based on economics. It could be based on the history of discrimination that's existed for a long time. She said, this tracks with a tweet and a video posted by Kamala Harris just before the election. Some months ago, when I saw it the first time, it had been viewed by like 6.4 or 5 million viewers. And she was talking about the fact there's a big difference between equality and equity. She was celebrating it. She and Ms. Fudge are right. There is a big difference. It's the difference between equal treatment and equal outcomes. And they have even transferred this not only to the classroom, not only to Washington State Patrol, not only to a dozen other social institutions and cultural institutions, but they have, they have exported this idea into the courtroom where you don't have equal opportunity under the law. You have equitable opportunity under the law, and that is very, very different. A white guy might be guilty, where a brown or black might not be in the same case. Those who advocate for equity, whether it's Joe Biden or Jay Inslee, they hide the differences under a cloak of virtue. But it isn't virtue. It's deceptive. It's misleading. And ultimately, it's destructive. There's another reason why they hide the differences. Equity challenges the very bedrock principle of our country. Our founders drew on the principles of the Bible. They were enlightened by God's truth of equal treatment for individuals of different stations in life. This is why they wrote in the Declaration of Independence. It was self-evident that all men are created equal. It's self-evident. I mean, how do you explain God? It's self-evident. How do you explain that there was a creator? Take a look at Mount Rainier on a clear day. That'll come in about eight months. But I mean, look at nature. Look at what God has created. The claim of equal treatment is deeply rooted in America. It causes those who seek to remake America to hide the difference between between equality and equity deeply in the social justice and compassion. Also hidden are the extensive measures that would be needed to achieve these equal outcomes, supposedly. Only a powerful central government could impose the intensive, expensive programs of social intervention, and that's what it is. Ideological re-education, economic redistribution. All of this comes under this whole idea of equity, not equality. The whole idea of equity is based first and foremost on deception. It's counting on, on citizens to believe that equity and equality are the same thing. You know, when you have responsibilities, which they are taking in Los Angeles School District, at least in San Diego, probably, but when you're taking the idea that you don't 
to a kid, say a 12, 14, 15-year-old kid, and you're saying to him, oh, it doesn't matter if you turn in your paper on time. Ah, don't worry about it. It's no, you're not going to get penalized. There's no, there's no consequence for you. And if you get an F, don't worry about it. Come on back and we'll sit down. We'll get this thing up to a B or a C or maybe an A. We'll do it until we get your grade up. And they call that learning. There is a part of repetition that's learning. I, I get that. But, man, when you're dismantling the institutions on that basis, what is left? Nothing. Whether it's the state patrol, whether it's education, whether it's the church. Most Americans are generous and compassion, long-suffering. But this isn't about that. It's about a power structure, not to help the needy and the downtrodden and the kids that can't learn and the people that want to be state patrol, but because of the color of their skin, they can't be in all of this. I mean, I, I know I'm being very direct in this, but let's get real. The agenda is so unpopular that the so-called progressives have renamed their programs. Quotas has become, as you know, over the years, called affirmative action. Equality it was deceptively exchanged for equity and so on. Instead of making their case openly and honestly, the leftist advocates of equity twist and turn to avoid revealing their racial goal of re-engineering American society through coercion. If their efforts fail, they double down on the deception. Biden is doing that as we speak on a number of issues. They just demand more money, more rules, and more indoctrination. And they package it as equity, compassion, and social justice. Since these efforts are all directed at equal outcomes, the pictures become abundantly clear. This isn't equality or even equity. It's the oldest method of achieving outcomes. Most of us know it as socialism, the gateway to communism. That's what these people are doing. I don't know if they know what they're doing. I think they do, at least the leadership. I know Barack Obama knows what he's doing. American citizens are beginning to awaken to this, and that's what happened in Virginia the other day, and it's happening in other places. A Republican got elected in Washington State, of all things. American citizens are beginning to awaken to this, and that's a good. But the bottom line is that Jesus himself taught equal opportunity, not equity. One of the best-known parables is the parable of the talents. The religious left is obsessed with always trying to cast Jesus as a socialist, recasting him in the image of Karl Marx or somebody. Really, they do. The whole parable story is based on personal ownership and merit-based equal opportunity. Read that passage of Scripture in Matthew. While each servant was given a different amount to manage according to their ability, the outcome was in their hands, not the government or even the businessman. The businessman in Jesus' story did not reward or subsidize irresponsibility. Progressives and the religious left demand equal outcomes, but Jesus taught the opposite of that. That was not what he was teaching in that parable. There is not a breath in this story of equality of outcome as any kind of operating principle. It's the reverse. What Jesus taught was that the redistribution of wealth is entirely voluntarily motivated by personal generosity and compassion directed to the worthy poor. There's no hint of it in Christianity or any other kind of support for the involuntary transfer of wealth through government coercion. 
Thank you for being with me today. I have more to say, of course, but um, the clock says that I'm about done for today, so we will wrap it up. But thank you so much for being with me today, and thank you for your support. We need it. Box 399, Bellevue, 98009. I'll see you tomorrow. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.